There's been times when I've been outside, out here in Idaho. Well, you know, in Idaho, at night, if there's no clouds, it's extremely clear as you look up, right? And all, all you're seeing is this symphony of, they look like diamonds in the sky. But there has been times when I've looked up in the sky at night and my eye has been drawn to one specific diamond or one specific star in the sky because it is just radiant beyond all the others. So my eyes are drawn to it. Maybe you've had this experience before. But ladies, this is what God has called you to be before him. He has called you to be an individual who is holy, an individual who is set out, set apart, an individual who is beyond the fray of the standard woman that we would see in society and what she portrays to that society. Well, as a church, we have been speaking of the regulative principle of worship as of late, for it is our church's position that how we worship God as well as how we conduct our lives is clearly laid out in the pages of Scripture. In chapter 22, paragraph 1, we read the following in the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith. And it says, The light of nature shows that there is a God who has lordship and sovereignty over all. He is just, good, and does good to all, and is therefore to be feared, loved, praised, called upon, trusted in, and served with all the heart and all the soul and with all the might. But the acceptable way of worshiping the true God is instituted by himself and so limited by his own revealed will that he may not be worshipped according to the imagination and devices of men, nor the suggestions of Satan under any visible representations or any other way not prescribed in the Holy Scriptures. Close quote. And thus we worship God as he has prescribed for us to worship him within his word, without variation. There is no doubt that the Christian does experience times when he has a spontaneous desire to worship God, unlike our set times that we worship him. For example, in our daily devotions or our corporate worship time on the Lord's day. I think it is safe to say that we have all experienced these spontaneous times in which we are overcome by the Spirit to give worship to our God. However, within these spontaneous times, we have so practiced and so trained our minds to worship Him, worship Him, how He intended us to worship Him, how He has prescribed for us to worship Him within His Word. This worship of him extends to how we conduct our lives. For our lives must be a continuing symphony of worship towards him, regardless of what we are thinking or what we are doing. Always looking to his word to give us guidance in every situation that we find ourselves within. 
and thus when it comes to the roles of men and women. We look to his word to find the clear instruction that he has given each one to conduct their lives by. This process began at creation in the garden where the first two people are created. The Lord did not leave Adam, nor did he leave Eve without clarity of instruction that they were to follow. He did not merely give the first two people that he created suggestions, but he gave them simple commands that they were, that were easily understood for them both to conduct their lives by. And not only to Adam and Eve did he give these instructions, but he has given instructions to all men and all women who would come from the loins of Adam and Eve. Please turn with me to 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11. Uh, We will be starting at verse 2. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 2. And Paul says this. He says, Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God or the Father in regard to submission. This text sums up God's decree in regard to the creation order you will notice that the head of Christ is God or the Father. But this does not make Christ inferior to the Father. In fact, in Hebrews 1, we read at verse 8 how the Father describes the Son. The author says the following, But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. So we see here, and Darren spoke of this a few weeks back, about the subordination of those in the Trinity and how the Son is subordinate to the Father. But he still is God. In fact, in this text here in Hebrews 1, the Father addresses the Son as God. Now, all who embrace the doctrine of the Trinity would believe that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are co-equal in everything. They have simply the same characteristics. They have the same attributes. However, as the Son, Jesus is in subordination to the Father, just as a wife is in subordination to her husband. This is very clearly laid out in Scripture. There is no disputing this. I have never heard any Christian say that it is just not right that Jesus is in subordination to the Father. But millions of men and women, even today, have said that it is just not right that the wife is in subordination to her husband. And these same women will never experience the peace 
that God has designed them to have as they practice submission toward their husbands. And even in the most difficult situations, such as making critical education choices for their children, or managing the home, or other difficulties that the husband and wife may have a bit of clashing in. But once again, submitting to one's husband is not a suggestion for the woman, but a command given by God. The woman may cry foul, and then her husband is chauvinistic. But this does not change what the word of God instructs the woman to do. And thus, in reality, perhaps the woman is calling out God as chauvinistic. For he is the one who gave her the command. The only time a wife should not submit to her husband is when the husband steps out of faith and requires that his wife sin or disobey a clear command that God has given her. And there will be these times in which the wife must not submit. In fact, none of us should ever submit to one who would provoke or ask us to engage in sin. And the case in point here is if a husband informs his wife that she does not need to fall under submission to him because they're co-equal, you know, they'll hand handle everything as co-equals in the home, well, then he is encouraging her to sin. For God has given her the command to submit to him. This is why church membership, or one reason church membership, is so important. Having the ability to appeal to the elders of a church is so important. For example, if a husband is a church member and he agrees to fall under the authority of scripture as laid out by the church documents the wife has a recourse to follow if the husband wants the wife to veer off course of what is commanded of her in scripture our church documents here at Providence only repeat what the scripture says. And if the husband is in agreement and has confirmed this by his word and his signature, he is now accountable to do as the scripture has said. And if not, he subjects himself to church discipline as instructed in Matthew 18. So the wife is not left without a recourse if there is a difficulty in their marriage where the husband is asking the wife to do something that would be um, seen as sinful. Now, some may say that your comments here appear to be, appear to contradict what Peter says in 1 Peter 3. And we will turn there. But first of all, I want to talk about uh, 
who Peter is written to. In chapter 2, Peter speaks about the proper way that a servant is to submit to his master. He continues in chapter 3 by speaking of the wife's proper submission to her husband. But before we get to chapter 3, let's examine Peter's purpose for writing the letter and who he, he is writing the letter to. Please turn with me to 1 Peter 1. And 1 Peter 1 says this at verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the elect who are exiles of the dispersion throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, and sanctified by the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling by his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, reserved in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power for the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, being more precious than gold, which perishes even though refined by the fire, may result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we see a few things in Peter's greeting here, his initial greeting. First, he is an apostle and therefore has authority to speak for God in regard to the gospel or his purposes. You remember Peter was called, he was an apostle and thus he was called by Christ. He followed Christ. He was taught by Christ. He was at the crucifixion crucifixion, and then he witnessed the resurrected resurrected Christ. So he had all the elements needed to make him an apostle. And thus, when it comes to speaking uh, for Christ and his truth, Peter had everything he needed to do so. The church in the first century would have been eager to receive such a letter as this. Imagine, imagine we are in the first century. We don't have, we don't have our Bible with 66 books before us. So when we hear something is coming from an apostle, you're like, wow, I want to see it. I'm eager. I can't wait to, what, to hear what Peter has to say. Secondly, Peter makes the point that God in his great mercy has given us new birth. He has caused us to be born again. 
He has taken the stony heart and turned it into a heart that is eager to receive his truth, much like a sponge is to receive that water. And thus, with all the necessary components in place, there is no reason for the new Christian not to follow the commands of God. And that's exactly what the new Christian will be like. Be like, hey, you've got a spill on on the floor. You get a sponge, you put it on the spill. What does that sponge do? It just starts sucking up that spill, whatever it is, water or some other liquid. This is the Christian heart. The Christian heart has desire to take in the things of God. And the Christian will follow either with the willing heart that God has given him or through God's process of discipline. Yes, at times, as we all know, there must be discipline. This is when God brings such discipline to his child to protect him from spiritual harm. This is a good thing when God brings discipline upon you and I. It is an act of love by our Heavenly Father. Number three, with this promise is given an inheritance that is irrevocable, that will never pass away. It is secured by the blood of Christ in eternity and will be revealed in the last time. And four, this promise given to the Christian causes great rejoicing. However, to prove the genuine nature and character of one's faith, there will be trial that one must carry through. And this includes the role of the woman, or more specifically, the role of the wife. And thus, given this foundation for our role as a Christian, let's continue to examine the role of the wife. Turn forward a few chapters to uh, chapter 3. And remember, we are... they. Peter is talking about his letter going to those of the dispersion, the elect exiles of the dispersion. Now, some people would see this as those Jews that were dispersed when heavy persecution came upon them in Jerusalem. Others would see this as, well, no, this this is actually the body of Christ, Gentile and Jew alike, who have been dispersed because of persecution of their faith. But Peter says this at verse 1 in 1 Peter 3. He says, likewise, wives. Now remember in chapter 2, he spoke about servants being subject to their masters. Now he turns the page and he's addressing the wife or wives. He says, likewise, wives, Be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. So important to understand. By the conduct of their wives. So you have have essentially a non-believer here, 
one who is not, the word would be defined, the word that he's talking about here, as the gospel message. So whether they're Jew or Gentile, these husbands are outside of receiving the gospel message. They're not Christians. But he said there is one way, Peter says there is one way to win them. And that is without a word by the conduct of their wives. Verse 2, he goes on to say, when they see your respectful and pure conduct, this is one way that will pull men, unbelievers, to Christ by their respectful and pure conduct. Verse 3, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold, jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy woman, women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, past tense, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything. That is frightening. Well, I must say, this is the rebellious husband's favorite text. For he can use it to abuse his wife. But if you look closely at the text, there is nowhere found that a wife must obey her husband regardless of the demands demands that he puts upon her. In fact, I see just the contrary. But let's step through this text so that we have proper understanding of what Peter is saying here. There are times when you will have two scenarios, right? There will be the time when a wife is married to a non-believer and he has rejected the gospel. There will be another time where the woman is married to a believer and he has broken faith and he is not walking before the Lord as he should and needs discipline. But my first point here is for the believing husband. You will notice that the wife is instructed to be subject to her own husband, but only if the husband disobeys the word. The text says nothing about the wife heeding to her husband's wishes for her to disobey the word. In fact, there should never be a time where the wife steps out of her faith before God and disobeys the word, no matter what her husband says. This would be a sin against her, and the sin would need to be addressed by what God has commanded in Matthew 18, 
15 to 17, which says the following. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen, even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. But he's my husband. The woman will say, he's my husband. He's not just a a brother. No, he's your husband and he's your brother. Thus, even though you are a husband or a wife, you are not excluded from following the proper procedure to deal with sin found in Matthew 18. As if you get some kind of pass. And this is, of course, if your spouse has sinned against you, go to your, go to your spouse and address him in the sin, or address her in her sin, whichever it may be. However, if your husband has not sinned against you, and he is not asking you in some way to sin, or he is not binding your conscience, there is no reason not to obey him. Matters of conscience would be a point where the wife does not have the responsibility to subject herself. For example, if the husband wants his wife to drink alcohol with him, eat food that is forbidden by the law, or wear clothes that she is uncomfortable wearing, these would also be cases where the wife should not be instructed by the husband to subject herself, for she is following her conscience in these matters, and these matters are found in the realm of Christian liberty Christian liberty is for all Christians and not just those outside of the marriage covenant point number two in the case of the non-believing husband the wife has given instructions of how to win her husband by her respectful and pure conduct that she displays before him. If the wife is following her husband in doing things that are not respectful and pure, this would be contrary to what Peter says about the topic here. But I'm trying to win my husband. Yes, but the command for you is to do things that are pure before God in your conduct. If you've stepped out of that, you've stepped out of the faith that you have before a holy God. Peter defines what the woman is to follow when instructed to display respectful and pure conduct before her husband. Follow along with me at verse 3 where Peter says the following. Do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart 
with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Adorning oneself is critical to your presentation of Christ, ladies. Peter here does not say, do not adorn yourself. He's not saying that. But when you do adorn yourself, let it be a reflection of the hidden person of the heart or the person who desires to please God with her adorning. That's number one, not what your husband says. Not, well, to please my husband. No, number one is always to please the Lord. Now, pleasing the Lord and your husband can be one and the same. And we are, I am hoping that would always be the case, but sadly it's not. Sadly it's not. We've had friends who have wanted their wives to dress in a certain way because they consider their wife like Christians. She's a trophy wife. I got to show her off. I got to show other guys what I have and what they're missing. Oh, it's terrible. It's sinful. And if the husband does this and the wife follows, they're both in sin. Out of bounds, foul, sorry, not found in scripture. And thus, women, ladies, your adorning must be a reflection of Christ and the love and respect that you have toward him above all others. You can adorn yourself as the women of this world adorn themselves. But this type of adorning will not earn you respect from those whose hearts have a passion to serve God. I'm sorry, that is not reflective of a Christian woman. Ladies, how are you representing the Lord? in your adorning. If your adorning invokes a desire for men to lust after you, then you, your adorning is sinful. There's no two ways about it. We men know how men think, right? Men, we know how men think. Let's not kid ourselves. And if you have questions about how you are dressing and how you are presenting yourselves, wives, ladies, women, daughters, please ask your husband. Please ask your father. 
One of my responsibilities towards the ladies in my home is to be a guide and counsel to them in how they dress. For they simply do not have extensive knowledge in regard to how men think. Oh, I never thought that that would bother men. Right? And so husbands, we have to be honest with our wives that there are certain kinds of dress and certain kinds of behavior that invoke men to lust. Thus, hasn't been very easy in my home, but I have always set thereabout standards in regard to hell, uh, in, I'm sorry, thereabout standards or dress codes for those in our home, including our sons. The women are not going to leave looking like harlots, nor are they going to come home that way. My sons were going to dress as men so that society would have no doubt that they were men. Why, you may ask. The reason being is that as head of my home, I am accountable before God for the dress and behavior of those who live under my roof. I have informed my children that if you do not like the home rules, there are other places where you can live. Sadly. And, but I have to say that none of my children really press back. Because I hope I've come in, come across in such a way where I am expressing my love for them. Oh, my daughter, my son. This is the reason that you should not dress this way. Men in crossover clothes, skinny jeans that are made for men and women. I, I, I don't understand some of the dress today. And some of this dress today you see in the church. Right? It's popular, so we got to wear it. We don't want to look like we're yeah, outside pop culture, want to be in with everyone else. And I agree to the point that we should dress in a conservative way within the culture and not stand so far out of it where we look like some, some group who dresses all alike and, and is hiding out in the holler in uh, Kentucky, Right? So that so there is a balance there. There is a balance there. <clears throat> but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And there will be times when your children do not like your decisions. There may be even times where your wife does not like your decision. But if you are convicted by it, by the Spirit, men, gently, there needs to be convincing on behalf of the wife uh, to follow what God has instructed 
you in. Now the woman who wants to please God in her presentation of him will be persistent. Persistent. Consistent. In adorning herself with a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. As Peter mentions in verse 4. What, above all other things, what do we want to do as Christians? We want to bring pleasure to our God. Right? So we're persistent in this. Even though the world is screaming to do something else, we do not get our instructions from the world. We get our instructions from the pages of Scripture. As we all know, this is not very common in our society today. Some women can be loud, clamorous, aggressive, and rough towards those around them. But as a Christian, these characteristics are off limits to the woman who will bear the name Christian. You remember the story, my... You know, my son's being out on the ball field. They have my name on their jersey. And they would misbehave out there. I said, well, you're not going to misbehave out there and have my name on your jersey. And there were times I had to take them out of the game, which affected the team. But I was more concerned about my son's character than it was the team winning the game. <clears throat> now to be loud, clamorous, aggressive, and rough, rough towards those around you, these are not characteristics of the Christian woman. They can be characteristics of the old woman. The woman that is still struggled with. Right? But there needs to be a persistence because how is God pleased? With a gentle and quiet spirit. Now some may think this is a cruel and unjust comment specifically for a man to make. <laughs> but a gentle and quiet spirit in the woman is the directive of the Lord, and therefore I need to agree with God's directive and encourage my sisters, my ladies at home, to do that which is, as Peter calls, very precious in God's sight. I find it fascinating that a woman before Christ and before the New Testament was written, namely Sarah, is called in 1 Peter 3, an holy woman who adorned herself as subject to Abraham, understanding her role as Abraham's wife. She obeyed Abraham, and sometimes even to a fault, you remember Egypt. You remember Pharaoh. You remember his harem. Oh, please go down and tell him you're my sister. 
And I, I'm not saying that, that outside of what we can do as men. You know, I, I know I've made some pretty dumb mistakes on behalf of my family that I have had to repent of. <clears throat> but Sarah obeyed Abraham, and sometimes even to a fault. But she looked beyond Abraham and his weaknesses to God, who was the one ultimately that she was walking in obedience to. Yeah, but he does this, that, and the other. So how can you possibly ask me to do this? Uh, well, because God has given you the command. <laughs> First off, and if there is a condition in, in God's word, for example, if your husband is sinning against you, there is a recourse for you. But again, that's why it's so important, ladies, to be involved with a local church. A church, a church that is going to help you in times like this because you have made yourself accountable to the church and the word of God as found in the church documents. <clears throat> so she looked beyond Abraham and his weaknesses. Her duty was to God. Peter says in verse 5, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. Obviously, by Peter's statement here, women were no longer walking in this way, or at least some women were not. They were not subjecting themselves to their husbands. And thus Peter is exhorting the women to come back to this very precious role that God has called each one to walk in. And I'm going to talk a whole lot more deeper about this in succeeding, in succeeding uh, sermons because this is like a three, four, or five parter. We'll get much deeper here. But the serious Christian woman, the one who's serious about her faith before God, the one who's serious when God says, I want you to be holy before me, set apart from the fray. I want you to stand out like that brilliant star in the sky. That's you. You're set apart. You're my daughter. But the serious Christian woman, the true born-again woman, will take great care in examining the biblical texts that speak to her role with regard to her husband. Most women will be taken back. They will be shocked by this role of subjection that the Lord has called them to. Who practices this? the woman who is not the Lord's will simply turn away from assuming such a role. She may play with it. 
you know, because she, she goes to church. She's kind of got to juggle things so people keep believing she's a Christian, right? <clears throat> but the woman who is not the Lord will simply pressed. She will simply turn away from assuming such a role. But the woman of God who has been knit to God's heart by the Spirit will take special care in this newfound role, knowing that her gentle and quiet spirit is pleasing to him. Is that important to you, ladies? I hope so. We find ourselves today in the same dilemma that those in the first century found themselves in. In times past, the commonness of the gentle, the quiet, the obedient wife has been modeled for us. And I would say even as late as the late 19th century, where women of this nature were common in U.S. society and actually made up the greater part of women in our country. But times have changed and much has happened causing the role of the woman to be severely compromised. Why? Well, because one generation compromised, leading the next to compromise more, and eventually the roles of women were no longer defined by, thus saith the Lord, but by what saith the church, what saith the culture. Well, I'm just dressing in the same way that she is. My behavior is just like hers. Yeah, but neither one of these ladies define your behavior as a Christian woman, more specifically a Christian wife. <clears throat> and what saith the culture in our time is dominating church life and practice. Perhaps you have heard the term clarion call. Has anyone heard the clarion call, that term? If not, the clarion call is an appeal or an urgent call to action. If the 20th century taught women one thing, I would say, I would have to say that it taught them how to jump ship from their precious role as woman, helpmeet of man, and daughter of the king in exchange for an insatiable desire to compete with men and assume their roles. However, for the Christian woman, there is no such role found in Scripture. Thus, the clarion call must go out and the women must be exhorted to assume the precious role that the Lord has designed her to fulfill. In my next sermon, I will dig deeper into the chain of events that has caused women to shift from the role that God has ordered them to walk in. Please pray with me.